Section three of Americans and Others. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section three of Americans and Others by Agnes Replier. Recording by Mary Schneider. Goodness and Gaiety. Can surly virtue hope to find a friend? Quote from Dr. Johnson. Sir Leslie Stephen has recorded his conviction that a sense of humor being irreconcilable with some of the cardinal virtues is lacking in most good men. Father Faber asserted, on the contrary, that a sense of humor is a great help in the religious life, and emphasized this somewhat unusual point of view with the decisive statement, perhaps nature does not contribute a greater help to grace than this. Here are conflicting verdicts to be well considered. Sir Leslie Stephen knew more about humor than did Father Faber. Father Faber knew more about grace than did Sir Leslie Stephen. And both disputants were widely acquainted with their fellow men. Sir Leslie Stephen had a pretty wit of his own, but it may have lacked the qualities which make for holiness. There was in it the element of denial. He seldom entered the shrine where we worship our ideals in secret. He stood outside, remarks Mr. Burrell cheerily, with a pail of cold water. Father Faber also possessed a vein of irony which was the outcome of a priestly experience with the cherished foibles of the world. He entered unbidden into the shrine where we worship our illusions in secret and chilled us with unwelcome truths. I know of no harder experience than this. It takes time and trouble to persuade ourselves that the things we want to do are the things we ought to do. We balance our spiritual accounts with care. We insert glib phrases about duty into all our reckonings. There is nothing, or next to nothing, which cannot, if adroitly catalogued, be considered a duty. And it is this delicate mental adjustment which is disturbed by Father Faber's ridicule. Self-deceit, he caustically observes, seems to thrive on prayer and to grow fat on contemplation. If a sense of humor forces us to be candid with ourselves, then it can be reconciled not only with the cardinal virtues, which are but a chilly quartet, but with the flaming charities which have consumed the souls of saints. The true humorist, objects Sir Leslie Stephen, sees the world as a tragicomedy, a vanity fair, in which enthusiasm is out of place. But if the true humorist also sees himself presiding in the sacred name of duty over a booth in Vanity Fair, he may yet reach perfection. What Father Faber opposed so strenuously were not the vanities of the profane, of the openly and cheerfully unregenerate, but the vanities of a devout and fashionable congregation, making a special terms by virtue of its exalted station with providence. These were the people whom he regarded all his priestly life with whimsical dismay. Their voluntary social arrangements, he wrote in spiritual conferences, are the tyranny of circumstance, claiming our tenderest pity, and to be managed like the work of a Xavier or a Vincent de Paul, which hardly left the saints time to pray. Their sheer worldliness is to be considered as an interior trial, with all manner of cloudy, grand things to be said about it. They must avoid uneasiness, for such great graces as theirs can grow only in calmness and tranquility. This is irony rather than humor, but it implies a capacity to see the tragicomedy of the world without necessarily losing the power of enthusiasm. 
it also explains why father faber regarded an honest sense of the ridiculous as a help to goodness the man or woman who is impervious to the absurd cannot well be stripped of self-delusion for him for her there is no shaft which wounds the admirable advice of thomas a kempis to keep away from people whom we desire to please and the quiet perfection of his warning to the censorious in judging others a man toileth in vain for the most part he is mistaken and he easily sinneth but in judging and scrutinizing himself he always laboreth with profit can make their just appeal only to the humorous sense so too the counsel of st francis de sales to the nuns who wanted to go barefooted keep your shoes and change your brains the cautious query of pope gregory i concerning john the faster does he abstain even from the truth cardinal newman's axiom it is never worth while to call whitey brown white for the sake of avoiding scandal and father faber's own felicitous comment on religious hedgers a moderation which consists in taking immoderate liberties with god is hardly what the fathers of the desert meant when they preached their crusade in favor of discretion all these are spoken to those hardy and humorous souls who can bear to be honest with themselves the ardent reformer intolerant of the ordinary processes of life the ardent philanthropist intolerant of an imperfect civilization the ardent zealot intolerant of man's unspiritual nature are seldom disposed to gaiety a noble impatience of spirit inclines them to anger or to sadness john wesley reformer philanthropist zealot and surpassingly great in all three characters strangled within his own breast the simple desire to be gay he was a young man when he formed the resolution quote, to labor after continual seriousness not willingly indulging myself in the least levity of behavior or in laughter no not for a moment End quote. and for more than fifty years he kept probably with no great difficulty this stern resolve the medieval saying that laughter has sin for a father and folly for a mother would have meant to wesley more than a figure of speech nothing could rob him of a dry and bitter humor they won't let me go to bedlam he wrote because they say i make the inmates mad nor into newgate because i make them wicked but there was little in his creed or in the scenes of his labors to promote cheerfulness of spirit this disciplining of nature honest erring human nature which could if permitted make out a fair case for itself is not an essential element of the evangelist's code in the hands of men less great than wesley it has been known to nullify the work of a lifetime the lincolnshire farmer who after listening to a sermon on hell said to his wife no sally it won't do no constitution could stand it expressed in his own fashion the healthy limit of endurance our spiritual constitutions break under a pitiless strain when we read in the diary of henry alleen quoted by dr william james in his varieties of religious experience quote, on wednesday the twelfth i preached at a wedding and had the happiness thereby to be the means of excluding carnal mirth End quote. we are not merely sorry for the wedding guests but beset by doubts as to their moral gain 
why should henry martin that fervent young missionary who gave his life for his cause with the straightforward simplicity of a soldier have regretted so bitterly an occasional lapse into good spirits he was inhumanly serious and he prayed by night and day to be saved from his besetting sin of levity he was consumed by the flame of religious zeal and he bewailed at grievous length in his diary his light worldly spirit he toiled unrestingly taking no heed of his own physical weakness and he asked himself when he had a minute to spare what would become of his soul should he be struck dead in a careless mood we have mr burrell's word for it that once in an old book about india he came across an after-dinner jest of henry martin's but the idea was so incongruous that the startled essayist was disposed to doubt the evidence of his senses there must have been a mistake somewhere to such a man the world is not and never can be a tragicomedy and laughter seems forever out of place when a madeira negress a good christian after her benighted fashion asked martin if the english were ever baptized he did not think the innocent question funny he thought it horrible he found st basil's writings unsatisfactory as lacking evangelical truth and could he have heard this great doctor of the church fling back a witticism in the court of an angry magistrate he would probably have felt more doubtful than ever concerning the status of the early fathers it is a relief to turn from the letters of martin with their aloofness from the cheerful currents of earth to the letters of bishop heber who albeit a missionary and a keen one had always a laugh for the absurdities which beset his wandering life he could even tell with relish the story of the drunken peddler whom he met in wales and who confided to him that having sold all his wares he was trying to drink up the proceeds before he got home lest his wife should take the money away from him heber using the argument which he felt would be of most avail tried to frighten the man into soberness by picturing his wife's wrath whereupon the adroit scamp replied that he knew what that would be and had taken the precaution to have his hair cut short so that she could not get a grip on it martin could no more have chuckled over this depravity than he could have chuckled over the fallen angels but st teresa could have laughed outright her wonderful merry infectious laugh and have then proceeded to plead to scold to threaten to persuade until a chastened and repentant peddler money in hand and some dim promptings to goodness tugging at his heart would have tramped bravely and soberly home it is so much the custom to obliterate from religious memoirs all vigorous human traits all incidents which do not tend to edification and all contemporary criticism which cannot be smoothed into praise that what is left seems to the disheartened reader only a pale shadow of life it is hard to make any biography illustrate a theme or prove an argument and the process by which such results are obtained is so artificial as to be open to the charge of untruth because general havelock was a good baptist as well as a good soldier because he expressed a belief in the efficacy of prayer like cromwell's trust in god and keep your powder dry and because he wrote to his wife when sent to the relief of lucknow may god give me wisdom and strength for the work which after all was a natural enough thing for any man to say he was made the subject of a memoir determinedly and depressingly devout in which his family letters were annotated as though they were the epistles of st paul 
yet this was the man who when lucknow was relieved behaved as if nothing out of the ordinary had happened to besiegers or besieged he shook hands with me wrote lady inglis in her journal and observed that he feared we had suffered a great deal that was all he might have said as much had the little garrison been incommoded by a spell of unusual heat or by an epidemic of measles as a matter of fact piety is a by no means uncommon trait of soldiers and there was no need on the part of rev mr brock who compiled these shadowy pages to write as though general havelock had been a rare species of the genus military we know that what the english puritans especially resented in prince rupert was his insistence on regimental prayers they could pardon his raids his breathless charges his bewildering habit of appearing where he was least expected or desired but that he should usurp their own special prerogative of piety was more than they could bear it is probable that rupert's own private petitions resembled the memorable prayer offered by sir jacob astley a hardy old cavalier who was both devout and humorous before the battle of edgehill o lord thou knowest how busy i must be this day if i forget thee do not thou forget me march on boys if it were not for a few illuminating anecdotes and the thrice-blessed custom of letter-writing we should never know what manner of thing human goodness exalted human goodness is and so acquiesce ignorantly in sir leslie stephen's judgment the sinners of the world stand out clear and distinct full of vitality and of an engaging candor the saints of heaven shine dimly through a nebulous haze of hagiology they are embodiments of inaccessible virtues as remote from us and from our neighbors as if they had lived on another planet there is no more use in asking us to imitate these incomprehensible creatures than there would be in asking us to climb by easy stages to the moon without some common denominator sinner and saint are as aloof from each other as sinner and archangel without some clue to the saint's spiritual identity the record of his labors and hardships fasts visions and miracles offers nothing more helpful than bewilderment we may be edified or we may be skeptical according to our temperament and training but a profound unconcern devitalizes both skepticism and edification what have we mortals in common with these perfect prodigies of grace it was cardinal newman who first entered a protest against minced saints against the pious and popular custom of chopping up human records into lessons for the devout he took exception to the hagiological license which assigns lofty motives to trivial actions the saint from humility made no reply the saint was silent out of compassion for the ignorance of the speaker he invited us to approach the fathers of the church in their unguarded moments in their ordinary avocations in their moods of gaiety and depression and when we accepted the invitation these figures lofty and remote became imbued with life it is one thing to know that st chrysostom retired at twenty-three to a monastery near antioch and there spent six years in seclusion and study it is another and more enlightening thing to be made aware through the medium of his own letters that he took this step with reasonable doubts and misgivings doubts which extended to the freshness of the monastery bread misgivings which concerned themselves with the sweetness of the monastery oil 
and when we read these candid expressions of anxiety st chrysostom by virtue of his healthy young appetite and his distaste which any poor sinner can share for rancid oil becomes a man and a brother it is yet more consoling to know that when well advanced in sainthood when old austere exiled and suffering many privations for conscience sake chrysostom was still disposed to be a trifle fastidious about his bread he writes from cesare to theodora that he has at last found clean water to drink and bread which can be chewed Quote, moreover i no longer wash myself in broken crockery but have contrived some sort of bath also i have a bed to which i can confine myself if st chrysostom possessed according to newman a cheerful temper and a sunniness of mind all his own st gregory of nazianzus was a fair humorist and st basil was a wit pensive playfulness is newman's phrase for basil but there was a speed about his retorts which did not always savor of pensiveness when the furious governor of pontus threatened to tear out his liver basil a confirmed invalid replied suavely it is a kind intention my liver as at present located has given me nothing but uneasiness to gregory basil was not only guide philosopher and friend but also a cherished target for his jests it has been wisely said that we cannot really love anybody at whom we never laugh gregory loved basil revered him and laughed at him does basil complain not unnaturally that tiberina is cold damp and muddy gregory writes to him unsympathetically that he is a clean-footed tip-toeing capering man does basil promise a visit gregory sends word to amphilochus that he must have some fine pot herbs lest basil should be hungry and cross does gregory visit basil in his solitude at pontus he expresses in no measured terms his sense of the discomfort he endures it would be hard to find in all the annals of correspondence a letter written with a more laudable and well-defined intention of teasing its recipient than the one dispatched to basil by gregory after he has made good his escape from the austerities of his friend's housekeeping i have remembrance of the bread and of the broth so they were named and shall remember them how my teeth stuck in their hunches and lifted and heaved themselves as out of paste you indeed will set it out in tragic style taking a sublime tone from your own sufferings but for me unless that true lady bountiful your mother had rescued me quickly showing herself in my need like a haven to the tempest-tossed i had been dead long ago getting myself little honor though much pity from pontic hospitality this is not precisely the tone in which the lives of the saints of any saints of any creeds are written therefore it is better to read what the saints say for themselves than what has been said about them this is not precisely the point of view which is presented unctuously for our consideration yet it makes all other points of view intelligible it is contrary to human nature to court privations we know that the saints did court them and valued them as avenues to grace it is in accord with human nature to meet privations cheerfully and with a whimsical sense of discomfiture 
when we hear the echo of a saint's laughter ringing down the centuries we have a clue to his identity not to his whole and heroic self but to that portion of him which we can best understand and with which we claim some humble brotherhood we ourselves are not hunting assiduously for hardships but which one of us has not summoned up courage enough to laugh in the face of disaster there is no reading less conducive to good spirits than the recitals of missionaries or than such pitiless records as those compiled by dr thomas william marshall in his two portly volumes on christian missions the heathen as portrayed by dr marshall do not in the least resemble the heathen made familiar to us by the hymns and tracts of our infancy so far from calling on us to deliver their land from error's chain they mete out prompt and cruel death to their deliverers so far from thirsting for gospel truths they thirst for the blood of the intruders this is frankly discouraging and we could never read so many pages of disagreeable happenings were it not for the gaiety of the letters which dr marshall quotes and which deal less in heroics than in pleasantries such men as bishop bourneau the abbey of retord and father Farron, missionaries in cochin china and korea all possessed that protective sense of humor which kept up their spirits and their enthusiasms father Farron, for example hidden away in the valley of the pines six hundred miles from safety writes to his sister in the autumn of eighteen fifty eight i am lodged in one of the finest houses in the village that of the catechist an opulent man it is considered to be worth a pound sterling do not laugh there are some of the value of eight pence my room has a sheet of paper for a door the rain filters through my grass-covered roof as fast as it falls outside and two large kettles barely suffice to receive it the prophet elijah at the house of the shunamite had for furniture a bed a table a chair and a candlestick four pieces in all no superfluity there now if i search well i can also find four articles in my room a wooden candlestick a trunk a pair of shoes and a pipe bed none chairs none table none am i then richer or poorer than the prophet it is not an easy question to answer for granting that his quarters were more comfortable than mine yet none of the things belonged to him while in my case although the candlestick is borrowed from the chapel and the trunk from monsignor berneau the shoes worn only when i say mass and the pipe are my very own surely if one chanced to be the sister of a missionary in korea and apprehensive with good cause of his personal safety this is the kind of letter one would be glad to receive the comfort of finding one's brother disinclined to take what st gregory calls a sublime tone would tend illogically i own to ease the burden of anxiety even the remote reader sick of discouraging details experiences a renewal of confidence and all because father Farron's good humor is of the common kind which we can best understand and with which it befits every one of us to meet the vicissitudes of life i have said that the ardent reformer is seldom gay small wonder when his eyes are turned upon the dark places of earth and his whole strength is consumed in combat yet st teresa the most redoubtable reformer of her day was gay no other word expresses the quality of her gladness she was not only spiritually serene she was humanly gay 
and this in the face of acute ill health and many profound discouragements we have the evidence of all her contemporaries friends nuns patrons and confessors and we have the far more enduring testimony of her letters in proof of this mirthfulness of spirit which won its way into hearts and lightened the austerities of her rule a very cheerful and gentle disposition an excellent temper and absolutely void of melancholy wrote ribera so merry that when she laughed every one laughed with her but very grave when she was serious there is a strain of humour a delicate and somewhat biting wit in the correspondence of saint teresa and in her admonitions to her nuns there is also an inspired common sense which we hardly expect to find in the writings of a religious and a mystic but teresa was not withdrawn from the world she travelled incessantly from one end of spain to the other establishing new foundations visiting her convents and dealing with all classes of men from the soldier to the priest from the prince to the peasant the severity of her discipline was tempered by a tolerant and half-amused insight into the pardonable foibles of humanity she held back her nuns with one hand from the frenzy of self-mortification which is the mainstay of spiritual vanity and with the other hand from a too solicitous regard for their own comfort and convenience they were not to consider that the fear of a headache a non-existent headache threatening the future was sufficient excuse for absenting themselves from choir and if they were too ailing to practise any other austerities the rule of silence she reminded them could do the feeblest no harm do not contend wordily over matters of no consequence was her counsel of perfection fly a thousand leagues from such observations as you see i was right or they did me an injustice small wonder that peace reigned among the discalced carmelites so long as teresa ruled practical and fearless save when a lizard ran up her sleeve on which occasion she confesses she nearly died of fright her much-sought advice was always on the side of reason asceticism she prized dirt she abhorred for the love of heaven she wrote to the provincial gratian then occupied with his first foundation of discalced friars let your fraternity be careful that they have clean beds and tablecloths even though it be more expensive for it is a terrible thing not to be cleanly no persuasion could induce her to retain a novice whom she believed to be unfitted for her rule we women are not so easy to know was her scornful reply to the jesuit olea who held his judgment in such matters to be infallible but nevertheless her practical soul yearned over a well-dowered nun when an excellent novice with a fortune of six thousand ducats presented herself at the gates of the poverty-stricken convent in seville teresa then in avila was consumed with anxiety lest such an acquisition should through some blunder be lost for the love of god wrote the wise old saint to the prioress in seville if she enters bear with a few defects for well does she deserve it this is not the type of anecdote which looms large in the volumes of minced saints prepared for pious readers and its absence has accustomed us to dissever humour from sanctity but a candid soul is as a rule a humorous soul awake to the tragicomic aspect of life and immaculately free from self-deception 
and to such souls cast like teresa's in heroic mould comes the perception of great moral truths together with the sturdy strength which supports enthusiasm in the face of human disabilities they are the lantern-bearers of every age of every race of every creed les amis bien nés whom it behooves us to approach fearlessly out of the darkness for so only can we hope to understand that's the end of section three